Jambo, Marafiki, and welcome back to the True Rafiki Podcast. As always, I am your host, Nate, and I appreciate your patience. I know I haven't posted in over a month, about a month and a week. What's my excuse? Well, I don't have one. I was on vacation for a couple of weeks, but that was a couple of weeks ago when I got back. So, well, I think it's just generic laziness. And to be honest, I guess that behavior is excusable because I don't really have many fans. Or do I? Because according to Spotify Wrapped, my podcast grew by 700%. Now, that's a lot. But keep in mind, I'm still a small-time podcast. Because last year, I was smaller small-time. So, I still appreciate all of your support, which you have given on the show. Especially to those six fans who listen to my podcast more than any other podcast. You six comrades are true friends of the revolution. I'll be honest with you. I did not expect to see any people who listen to my podcast more than any other podcast. You six folks are insane. <laughs> Anyways, I'm back from vacation. As to my upload schedule, I do not have one and I will never have one for a long time unless I somehow have a million followers or a billion followers and I can quit my job doing this podcast. But will that ever happen? No, it will never happen. Anyways, today we are listening to some more Charles Mingus, this time on his record, The Black Saint and Sinner Lady. This is more of an avant-garde record, as you will hear throughout the episode. It is definitely not for the faint of heart, whether you are simply enjoying it like you are today, listening to it behind this podcast, or if you're crazy enough to actually attempt to play or accompany any jazz combo on this record. If you do that, more power to you, man, because it is not easy. How do I know this? Well, I have played jazz for a long time. A very long time. If you don't know, I've actually played the piano for a very, very long time. Almost 20 years now. The vast majority of my life. The vast, vast majority of my life. And that's what today's episode... That That's my segue into today's episode. Today we're going to discuss music. Music is my favorite topic to discuss even more than politics. However, I usually refrain from talking about it too much because as a musician, as someone who's taught music and music theory, someone who's studied music and music theory, my view on music is not so much artistic as I guess you can call them the normies. I mean the average music listener, the average music enjoyer, my music taste compared to them, or my music insight compared to them, is 100%, 1000% more theoretical. This record is an example of that. This record is not, again, like I said, it's not for the faint of heart, it's not for the average jazz enjoyer. I mean, some of you who are average jazz fans who listen to this record are no longer average jazz fans. You are more on the side of a jazz aficionado because this record is complicated. This record is full of things and themes that do not make sense to the average listener's ear. As you can hear behind me, if you don't listen to the jazz, you will think this is just a bunch of random horns and drums and bass and piano going on in the background. 
but it's not. It's actually quite complicated and it's, it's quite beautiful when you really think about the theory behind it. But I'm not going to go into jazz theory because, listen, in all my years learning jazz and jazz theory, I've never felt more stressed at any point in my life. I've never felt more dumb in any point in my life. Jazz theory is like advanced physics, but the music version of it, all right? You know your Beethoven and your Chopin. You may even have your more modern artists, your, your John Legends, right? Your Beatles, Rolling Stones, Jimi Hendrixes, but you do not have a lick of jazz theory in you because, listen, if you did, your gray hair would be fully in and if, if you're lucky enough to have hair. Anyways, I am rambling right now. Today's episode is about music, specifically Africa's influence on music. Now, Mar Rafiki, if you follow me on Twitter, at RafikiPod, which you totally should, same on Instagram, at RafikiPod, you would know I have a habit of tweeting out things which generate some controversy. Mind you, it has died down over the past few weeks, but I still like to generate controversy with my tweets. Because it's fun, right? I, who, who, who doesn't? I mean, I mean, I shouldn't say that. A lot of people don't like to generate controversy. I do, all right? I'm a sickle like that, all right? And I tweeted out a couple of months ago now that jazz, in its purest form, is not an American native form of music or Native American form of music. Now, look. Jazz is often touted as America's only native art form. But if you really think about it, American culture to this day, I'm talking specifically in the United States of America, and basically almost every single aspect of popular culture today in the Western Hemisphere, almost every, not by any means every aspect, because there are places in the Americas where popular culture is 100% or at least 95% rooted in Native American tradition, talking Native American from the tip, alert Nunavut, Canada, right down to Punta Arenas in South America. That's when I refer to America, that is what I'm referring to, okay? In terms of today's episode. But jazz is always touted as the United States' only Native art form. And quite frankly, that is, for the most part, false. Now, this statement generally pisses off a lot of, I guess you can call them black American or black United States patriots. I don't know what you would, like the ADOS, FBA people, you know, those people who don't believe they're African, who believe they are, they are somehow superior to Africans because they are not African. You know, those people tend to get pissed off whenever I make the statement. And quite frankly... Yeah, I understand why they are pissed off. If you've listened to my previous episode, Talking Points on the ADOS and FBA movement, you would know what I'm getting into here. When you feed this false narrative, generation over generation over generation, that false narrative quickly becomes the only acceptable narrative. And that false narrative played into this great mythology of black people in the United States, which quite frankly is just that, a mythology. When the reality of the situation is that black people in the United States can very easily trace their ancestry back to Africa within 10, definitely less than 20 generations, the vast majority of them. 
and I'm not just saying this as some random person on a podcast. I'm saying this as a person who has studied this topic for countless hours, man. Trust me. A lot of time. Some of you listening to the show can attest for that because you were there with me in university struggling alongside with me trying to wrap my head around the absolute quagmire that is African history. Trust me, it is an, an amazing topic, but it's, again, not for the faint of heart. Just like this record. Now, when these black Americans say these things about their culture, what they are really referring to is African culture. You see, every bit of black culture in the United States can trace its original roots in African tradition. Black United States music, such as jazz, blues, ragtime, hip-hop, black United States food, collard greens, yams, all that. I mean, I don't really know too many black United States food. I mean, I grew up in the, I grew up in a Caribbean household and the, Carib- the Caribbean food I ate growing up was a fusion between Indian, like from, from India and African food mushed together, which created my food growing up, which was amazing, by the way. If you ever get a chance to try some Trini doubles and roti, man, go for it, man. It is nice. It is nice. Trinidad curry. Oh, I'm getting hungry now, man. Anyways, these black Americans have this idea that their culture is unique and founded in America by Americans native to that continent. Quite frankly, that is wrong because, of course, no black people are native to this side of the world any more than a white person is. We are immigrants just like the white man. However, our immigration status is a little bit different, as you can possibly imagine, right? We came here by force. The most of us, some of us came here later on uh, as normal, quote unquote, normal immigrants. But the vast majority of us were brought here by force. We were bought and sold like cattle, like property. White men came here, some of them by force, the vast majority by choice. So when we were brought here by force, this, trust me, this all ties into jazz, all right? I'll get there, all right? I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm telling a story. We have to set up the narrative before we address the narrative. When these Africans are brought over or were brought over to this side of the world, they were stripped of their culture, they were stripped of their language, they were stripped of their religion, they were stripped of their traditions. However, if you don't know African people, you would know this by now, that African people are probably the most resilient people to ever exist on this planet. You see, us African people, although greatly oppressed, greatly held back by the evils of capitalism, in this case slavery, we did not lose everything. We did not lose all of our identities. You see, a lot of it was lost, specifically on the side of our naming culture and our uh, religious aspect of life. Those two aspects were greatly lost, but had a revival later on in the 20th and now in the 21st centuries. However, 
when it comes to things that maybe the European does not quite understand about African people, us Africans have held on to that with our lives. And what is the number one, like, number one thing I'm talking about right now, and that is music. If you've ever had the opportunity to visit a black church in the United States of America or the Caribbean, you would know exactly what I'm talking about. Because if you visit that black church in Alabama or that black church in Trinidad and Tobago, and that, then you go visit a black church in Nigeria, a black church in Kinshasa, a black church in Nairobi, you would realize, oh my goodness, this church feels the exact same. And I bring up the church because the church is a very divisive part of the black community, especially in the Western Hemisphere. However, there's no denying the African influence in the way black people worship in this side of the world, specifically in terms of Christianity. If you've been to a black church in the United States and the Caribbean, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But if you have not, let me break it down for you. I'm sure most of you listening have watched a Tyler Perry movie. <laughs> I hate Tyler Perry. In fact, I think he is one of the greatest detrimental figures to black people all around the world. But that's besides the fact. In most Tyler Perry movies, there's always a scene where the main character finds Jesus or finds a person who has already found Jesus. And that person acts like a mentor to that main character to overcome whatever adversity they are facing. In cases where it's a strong female lead, that strong female is in, a, in, in an abusive relationship with some really buff black guy with waves. Meanwhile, the poor black guy with an afro looking all raggedy daggedy, who's a good guy at the end of the day, you know, comes in and says, no, that's wrong. And takes that lady and then boom, they're happy every after. I mean, that is a very, very high level overview of Tyler Perry movies. Of course, they're all a bit different. But generally speaking, you have a black church scene in every Tyler Perry movie. That black church scene is a great introduction, a very basic introduction to black church culture in the Western Hemisphere. Especially when it comes to the way that black people worship. It does not matter what they're worshipping or who they're worshipping, but black people tend to worship the same way, no matter the situation. And in that way is wholeheartedly body, soul, mind, everything is involved in this worship. If you've seen a Haitian voodoo uh, ceremony in Haiti, or a voodoo ceremony in Benin, or a Baptist church in Alabama, you would see pretty much the exact same things. People dancing in unison, people singing in unison, not just singing, Marafiki. I'm talking belting, borderline screaming, but somehow in tune with the remainder of the congregation, this most powerful and uplifting sound. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm not a Christian here, mind you. I do not believe that some white man with long hair came down and saved us. But there's no denying the power in a black congregation, especially in the Western Hemisphere and in Africa. And there's no denying the similarities in black worship all around the world. You see, African culture is a spiritual culture. When Africans were brought over to this side of the world and their religions were stripped fr uh, from them to be replaced by a Judeo, uh, 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 Greco-Roman, I don't know what the term is, I had never studied European history so don't quote me on this stuff, but basically a white man religion, 
Africans found a way to in uh, to incorporate traditions from their homelands and this new tradition forced upon them by the colonizer. Hence, the emergence of syncretic faiths such as Haitian and New Orleans voodoo, Obia, Hashishimi, Rastafarianism, or straight up Black Baptist church going in the South. Specifically in the South in the United States. That's the best example. If you don't know what I'm talking about, still Google it for Christ's sake. You know that, um, that meme, the, that Vine, or I don't know what it was, it was a YouTube video from a while back where this old black lady is like, I got beans, greens, potatoes, tomatoes, and so on and so forth. That's in, that is what a black church is, like, that encapsulates it. You have people seemingly possessed by the spirit of the Lord going into the situation which they would not normally go into in their day-to-day -day lives and taking over and not just taking over but doing a damn good job of taking over. Anyways, my freaky, that is a great example of the connection between African culture and black United States culture specifically. However, many black people in the United States, specifically in the ADOS FBA communities, will deny this, saying this is a specifically black American thing, and that black Africans and other people around the world who happen to be black have copied the United States. As you can see, these people are basically like toddlers, right? You know, they trying to explain something historically uh, significant to them is like me trying to teach a, a, a jar of peanuts astrophysics. I can't do it, no matter how hard you try, and if you keep trying, you are simply insane, but here I am trying, so I must be insane, right? Marfiki, many aspects of black culture this side of the world have exact parallels in Africa for obvious reasons, and I'm talking specifically in the United States. Who remembers Soldier Boy? I'm sure a lot of you remember Soldier Boy. You remember Crank That by Soldier Boy. You remember all those dances from the early 2000s, late 90s. Right? I grew up during those times. Most of you probably grew up during those times. So you are very familiar with those dances. Do you know where black dance culture in the United States originates? Of course you do know by now, it is in Africa. African dance holds a spiritual meaning, a significant meaning. There's a reason why it's very stereotypical for Africans to be able to dance. I have not met a man or a woman from the continent who has been unable to hold a rhythm with their body. Those people, our people, are absolutely amazing when it comes to dance. Just being straight up, I know it sounds a bit benign, but it's true. Alright, find me a video of an African who cannot dance and I will pay you $10. Actually, no I won't, because you will find one. I'm sure there are some out there. In fact, I cannot dance, so that's quite embarrassing. <laughs> but you get the point, right? You see... Dance culture is one of those things that has survived the evils of capitalism, specifically slavery. See, you can remove the physical aspects of a culture, but you cannot remove the soul 
which makes up that culture. In this case, you can remove the dress, you can remove the names, you can uh, you can change the names of the spirits and the ancestors, you can make us wear uh, uh, suits and ties. Meanwhile, we are living in this hot, humid incredibly uncomfortable conditions you can make us do all of that but you cannot remove the african within and the african within marafiki wants to dance throughout black history in the united states and the caribbean the music which has produced dances has always thrived more than a music which has not until very recent years at least I don't know the most recent dance. I guess TikTok is now a dance thing, but I wouldn't really call that dancing. I'll just call it gyrations, which don't really make sense. You see, Marafiki, African dance culture has bred by force dance culture in the United States of America and the Caribbean. Think about all those Jamaican dance hall dances. Think about all of those Trini... Soka, Calypso, Parang dances. Think about all those club dances in the United States of America. And then look at those dances and the way we approach those dances and go to Africa and see the way they dance and the way they approach dance. Dance in black culture here in the West has brought people together, has, uni uh, has unified communities which were once divided by petty reasons and have created this atmosphere of jubilation, prosperity, happiness. It's just one big party, to be honest. And if you go to Africa, you will see the exact same thing. And you won't even have to look that hard, Marafiki. So we have it. Worship, dance. In fact, worship and dance can be pretty much equated into one thing because if you go to a black church in the United States or in the Caribbean you will notice that worship definitely incorporates a lot of dancing in fact it is very rare for a black person to leave church completely dry of sweat and I know this from firsthand because I grew up in the church as I'm sure a lot of you have as well you see Marafiki the church an African tradition when it comes to dance and song have bred down the lines the very genre we are listening to right now and this genre has siblings all around the world hip-hop blues lo-fi in fact most of our pop music this genre is a product of capitalism is a product of colonialism is a product of slavery is a product of african struggle this genre called jazz is not native to the united states rather its people were brought to the, to the united states its people came to the united states against their will or even voluntarily because even though jazz can claim most of its root from African tradition, there's no denying the European melodic flair which is omnipresent in jazz music, the European influence, specifically French influence in jazz music. Last time I checked, French people were not native to the United States of America either. So we have African influence, we have a little bit of French influence in jazz. 
African more so on the melodic improvisational side, the community side. French more so on the simple melodic motif side. You have jazz, which is basically a mulatto baby from the French colonizer and the African slave. And people like to say jazz was invented in New Orleans. No, Marafiki, jazz was invented nowhere. Saying jazz was invented in a place is like me saying you were invented in the hospital you were born in. Saying that will completely discount the work your parents and grandparents and great-grandparents and so on and so forth have gone through to get to where you are now. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jazz is not an object just like any other form of art. Every single form of art cannot be objectified and claimed to have began with one specific thing in one specific place. Every single form of art, especially art nowadays, especially art as avant-garde as jazz, have not been produced in one single place. Rather, they have been a result of infinite factors coming together over a long period of time to create something which we now recognize as one unique thing. Now you may be wondering, Nate, why do you care so much about jazz music? Well, let me give you a little bit of history in my life. I started playing the piano around when I was five-ish years old, around there. I'm not too sure of the exact time, but I remember when I was a very little kid, I wanted to play the drums. I was a huge fan of Green Day and Billy Talent. Yes, me, Mr. Pan-African, a huge fan of Green Day and Billy Talent, and Nirvana as well. I love punk rock. I love punk. I love grunge. I love that emo rock music. It was great. It was a different time, all right, Marafiki? That kind of stuff was normal. <laughs> Nowadays, not so much. But I really enjoyed that genre of music and I wanted to play drums. So therefore, I can play that genre of music. However, my family was like, no, 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 no. You see, play something nice, like the piano. So I said, okay, whatever. Started playing the piano, started learning classical. I could play a few Beethoven songs, including the entirety of Fur Elise by the time I was about eight years old, which is quite young. But looking back at it as a former piano teacher, I can tell you that Furley's is fairly simple, theoretically speaking. It wasn't until I was about 10 years old that I got my first ever blues CD. That's how I got introduced to jazz. I didn't go from jazz to blues. I went from blues to jazz. Which makes more sense because blues is a, is a lot simpler than jazz is, right? Blues generally follows the same formula. Jazz doesn't have a formula. Jazz, to me, is the epitome of avant-garde, right? Look at this record right now. But when I was about 10, I, uh, maybe a bit younger, I got my first blues CD. It was just a compilation of the greatest blues hits. They had B.B. King, uh, Howlin' Wolf, Screamin' Jay Hawkins, uh, uh, Muddy Waters, all all of those uh, um, blues greats. I'm talking icons of blues on that CD, and it had a few hits from each each icon. And when I first heard that CD, you know, I remember telling my grandfather like, "Yo, I really like this." And every time he was driving me to my piano lesson or to wherever I was going, I would want that CD to be played in the car every time. I would fall asleep with that CD. I was obsessed with it. I don't even know where it is. I don't think it's still there. I think it's gone in the garbage now because who needs CDs nowadays, right? 
But that CD, when I first told my piano teacher at the time about it, she said, well, this is great and all, but have you ever tried jazz? There's something along those lines. I don't really quite remember the exact words, but it was something along those lines. And that literally changed my life in terms of everything, Marafiki. And this is why when people come at me and tell me I don't know jack about jazz or music, I get pretty offended. And I, I don't really get offended that easily, but when it comes to questioning my knowledge on a subject that I've been studying for 20 years, yeah, yeah, I get a bit pissed off. So therefore, I will make an entire episode complaining about the people who accuse me of not knowing jack about jazz. Anyways, back to the story at hand. I started to learn jazz under that teacher. I transferred teachers a couple of times. Then I hit high school, ninth grade. I was 13, going on 14 that summer, and I joined this jazz combo at a college in Toronto for high schoolers, where we played all over Toronto. We played different shows at the college and different bars, uh, jazz bars all over Toronto. And I met some pretty amazing people. I met people who played with the likes of Oscar Peterson, people who played with the likes of Dave Brubeck, people who have played with the likes of B.B. King, in this jazz combo, people instructing me, people playing with me, people teaching me these things. And I had one teacher who was a hard ass. He was a terrible teacher, but he knew what he was talking about. He made me feel bad <laughs> about my playing ability, which in hindsight is what a jazz teacher really should do. Because jazz is not for the faint of heart. But that teacher was such a hard ass that I ended up quitting that teacher, went back to my old teacher to play what I wanted to play, but I never forgot the things he has taught me. He taught me how to sing, he taught me how to compose, he taught me how to improvise, he taught me syncopation, he taught me so many things when it comes to music theory, specifically in jazz, and I'm eternally grateful to him. Back on my normal teacher, he was very heavy in composition expressing yourself through the music which is what jazz is about jazz is no different from any other genre of music in this aspect it's about self-expression where jazz is unique is the amount of self-expression you can have and how every single song even though the same song can sound entirely different even though it's played by the same band sometimes even twice or three times in the same night trust me i know from experience have you ever heard summertime Gershwin, you know, summertime and the living is easy. You know that song? I've played that song maybe about 150 times on different occasions and every single time I've played that song, I've played it in an entirely different way depending how I was feeling that day, depending how I decided to play it, depending on if I was feeling confident, adventurous, or I felt tired or I didn't want to play. I played that song so many times and every time I played that song, it sounded completely different and that is why. I spent so much time and effort studying jazz and becoming good at it and understanding it and understanding that I will never become perfect at jazz. I will never know everything there is to know about jazz because jazz is infinite. It has no beginning. It has no end. It has no middle. Jazz is, is it's like nothing. Jazz is a catch-all term. This song you're listening to right now is jazz. Ragtime is jazz, blues is jazz, hip-hop is jazz, you know? The Sugar Hill Gang, that's a jazz band, but it play more in a funky style and you created hip-hop. Thelonious Monk, that's a jazz man. Jimi Hendrix, jazz. 
You can consider every single form of music since the 20th century to be jazz, but of course you wouldn't because we have a predetermined uh, position as to what jazz really is. Marfiki, I will define for you jazz. Jazz is everything. At the same time, jazz is nothing. Jazz does not exist because it is everywhere. It is omnipresent. If it existed, it has finite boundaries. Jazz has infinite boundaries. It's everywhere. Jazz is like what Christians believe God to be. It's everywhere. It's everything. If I hit on this glass, that's jazz. I don't know what I played. I played nothing. There was no rhythm. There was no time signature. There was no melody. But if I put that on a record and call it jazz, it will be accepted as jazz because who can define jazz in the first place? And if you are foolish enough to try to define jazz, that just tells me that you know nothing about jazz and you know nothing about music. So if you are listening to this podcast and so happen to be one of those fools who have come at me for saying that I know nothing about jazz and jazz must have horns, it must be American, it must be this, where are the African jazz records, yada yada yada, sounding like Charlie Brown's mother at this point. Shut up. Sit down and listen to some jazz until you can't listen to any more jazz and then come back to me and define to me what jazz is. Listen to Dave Brubeck. I like Dave Brubeck a lot. Listen to Thelonious Monk. I like Monk a lot. Listen to Oscar Peterson. I like Peterson a lot. Listen to Charles Mingus like we are right now. Listen to whoever you want to listen to. Listen to jazz from Ethiopia, jazz from Nigeria, jazz from the Congo, jazz from France, jazz from Belgium, jazz from Australia, jazz from Japan. Because those Japanese people, man, they play good jazz out there in Japan. Jazz from the US, Canada, Trinidad, Brazil. Jazz from Cuba, Cuban jazz. Who doesn't like Ibrahim Ferrer? I have his record right here in my office. One of the greatest Cuban jazz men to ever exist. Americans in the United States will say, no, that's that's uh, guajira, that's salsa. But what is salsa if it's not another form of jazz? Marfiki. I say this a lot on Twitter and I will say it on the podcast for the first time. Don't at me. If you're not ready to prove your points using actual proof. Because trust me, I'm sick and tired of some of these people coming after me for no reason. Anyways, that's where I'm going to wrap up this episode. Um, Thank you for listening. (laughs) It was a very different episode, but I came back from vacation. I took a little hiatus and I figured, you know what? I'm going to change how things go next year. I'm going to hold no punches and I'm just going to say whatever I want to say without regards of repercussion. Of course, within reason, I'm not going to say something that will get me fired from my job, but I'm not out here to make friends, Marafiki. I'm out here to say what's on my mind. And if you don't like that, well, that's great. I don't really care. I'm not here to make you happy. If you've noticed as well, I've changed my podcast cover. Um, So yeah, that's new. And I've also changed my podcast preview, my podcast trailer, so that's new as well. Anyways, Marfiki, I'm going to go now. I'm going to let you guys go. We didn't make it through the whole record, but we very rarely do. These records are very long. But I am going to play out the rest of this song so you can enjoy it with me. Until then, Marfiki, stay safe. And you'll hear from me whenever you hear from me. 
follow me on social media at RafikiPod and keep supporting the show as always. I appreciate it. Goodbye.